As the tech industry makes the world smaller, business gets bigger. As your company grows, HSBC has the ability to scale with you with a vast global network made up of local expertise. Search HSBC Tech Industry to contact your local specialist. Coming up on Equity, Stitch Fix tumbles after its earnings. The stock market is loving anything blockchain and record VC dollars, but not everyone is getting the love. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Katie Roof, joined by my colleague, Matthew Lindley. Hello. Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief, Alex Wilhelm. Hello. And our special guest today is Jeff Richards, who's the managing partner at GGV Capital. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. So it's it's been good, but not for Stitch Fix. So Lindley, what happened to everyone's pre-earnings favorite 2017? Yeah, tech talk IPO. about going off cycle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what was up with that? Why was it today? Uh, it's fine. Uh, so so Stitch Fix, which uh, was in, has been an interesting company to follow, just because the they did a downsized IPO, if I'm correctly. Yeah. Uh, the I, after <laughs> I know all about it. Yeah. After the after the IPO. Uh, it was up like I don't know, like one or two percent. Things were not right. looking good, and then fast forward one month later, and it's up fifty percent, except for after today. Um, so its first earnings report came out came out today, and the stock is now down eleven percent. Uh, so Stitch Fix is, and this is actually we recorded earlier this week, Tuesday afternoon. So by the time you're listening to this podcast Friday, the stock will be doing something different. Yeah, it but, might have tripled. But at this moment in time, after hours, uh, it did does not look good for stitch fix at all um and it's interesting though because they actually did beat uh slightly so clearly the like wall street was expecting a big beat on earnings and they didn't get that big beat sometimes there's a, something called a whisper number that is gets floated around and so the whisper number was wrong for I, stitch fix that's my best guess on what's going on here well it's, it seems like there's also just like they they came out with some guidance that had revenue guidance for the next quarter but didn't really have any earnings guidance so there's a little bit yeah, of uncertainty lower low yeah gross low, margin. low big low red margins. flag in, in retail e-commerce yeah all, all of all of the above and uh you know essentially like yes like you build an awesome business and has a lot of annual recurring revenue but like what are all the other signals we're looking at because we all kind of like ate our feet when it came to blue apron sitting here saying like oh yeah it's like a billion dollar revenue but actually its retention is like not very good at all so like there's so i I think it's just getting a lot more scrutiny um you know the getting to the retention number I, i was on the phone with their chief operating officer mike smith and he basically said that they want to invest heavily in data science to deal with the re-engagement and retention problem. The idea being like, you know, catch you in that impulse moment where you're like, oh, Stitch Fix. I remember Stitch Fix. Yeah, I'm going to log in and go ahead and order another box or something like that, right? Um, But yeah, it's like, uh, it's still... Yeah, it's down 11%. Oh, no. It's still up like 40-something percent on the year, right? (laughs) Yeah, and and this has been a really unusual one. For people who don't follow IPOs closely, they don't realize what an anomaly this really was. But uh, So, first of all, yeah, they downsized the IPO, which is not good. uh, That means they sold less shares than what they were hoping to sell. They also priced below the proposed range, and it was originally at a lower valuation to where they did a buyback. So And then it didn't even go up after all that and they always price these things to pop whether or not they should do that is a separate <laughs> question that we can debate forever on Twitter um, but, we did. But, um, <laughs> but regardless compared to the normal benchmarks the IPO didn't go well but usually and there are exceptions but usually and there was some data that shows you know a month out even a year out the companies that that are flat on their first day are 
perform worse than other companies. Uh, but Stitch Fix has obviously obviously been an outlier. They did phenomenal leading up to earnings, but I guess there were some rumors that, or supposedly, that their earnings were going to go well, and um, maybe they just didn't go as well as people were expecting. Well, the very end of Lindley's uh, story on Stitch Fix earnings has an amazing quote. Because if you're an econ nerd, one thing people love to blame uh, a Slack GDP quarter on is the weather. And <laughs> um, and uh, I just got to share this quote because the the CEO uh, Katrina Lake apparently said, "quote We well, had a it's war- not a direct quote. It was a I, I was furiously transcribing on a tweet, but go uh, ahead. I'm going to read you the wrong transcript here. But <laughs> that is online. Uh, we had a warmer fall. We were selling through that summer product later this year, etc. But I just I love to see weather come in again." to just another financial event. It was a lot of fun. I think at the end of the day, look, I, I, I was a part of Katie's um, uh, conversation on Twitter when the, <laughs> when the whole IPO happened, and it was, it was awesome. It, look, this is a company that went from uh, 50 to $75 million in revenue in 2014 to almost a billion in 2017, one of the great success stories in Silicon Valley of the last five years. And by the way, also has a female CEO running a right. public company. Like, amazing that. story all around, right? So that's, I think, what a lot of us want to celebrate, how it does as a public company we won't know for two to three years, right? And most of the insiders won't exit for two to three years. And so right now you have roughly 8% of the stock that's even tradable. So the, the indication of the stock price is such a, a minuscule view of where this company will be in a year or two. I think it's it's an interesting one because there's so much scrutiny on it, but there's a whole bunch of other companies that have gone public this year that don't get talked about. Enterprise technology companies like SendGrid and Okta that are also very relevant and very relevant to the health of Silicon Valley just haven't gotten any attention. We have talked about them on our show. So yes. clearly yeah. been I need to listen to the show more often. Um, <laughs> this, this is the one room that I was like, ooh, MuleSoft, yes. Good, good, we, good. We talked all about all, good. pretty much all the venture-backed IPOs this year. So, uh, yes, they do. They have gotten a bit of attention. But, yeah, partly to what you said, I mean, there's it was the only tech IPO, I think, with a female this year running it. Um, Katrina is the youngest woman to ever take a company public, according no to way. the NASDAQ. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's very it's a very impressive feat. There's no question. But, um, you know, in terms of the stock market, it's a whole different animal than venture capital. And, Frankly, the stock market values companies very differently than venture capitalists do, and they're looking at different metrics. Uh, they're, t- they're looking at things quarter by quarter instead of taking a long-term view. And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it does. Obviously, it's had a much better run so far than Blue Apron. Uh, but, yeah, some investors were burned on commerce, and some are s- skeptical because of s- they had a bad experience of subscription commerce earlier this year. So, well, yeah, and- 25%. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also like it's a different business. Right. So, uh, I mean, if you if if you listen to like the the kind of pitch that they make and things like that, they say like, oh, we're not like we don't follow the kind of holiday quarter seasonality that big e-commerce companies do. We're like, uh, you know, we have a different we have a different cycle. We're a subscription business, da, 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 da. And like, again, like it's been a month. Right. We don't know yet. We don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. It's too early to determine whether this is a success or not for long term investors obviously traders and short-term investors look at things in a different way but but yeah i mean it's possible there will it will have a great run on the stock market and by the way i would bet you guys that in a few years blue apron not blue apron sorry stitch fix will have multiple product lines they'll have multiple demographic graphics that they sell to wouldn't surprise me if they open physical retail stores build the brand out in a more holistic way so a lot of times when these companies go public it's still so early in their life cycle right think about amazon going public you know many many years ago didn't have aws didn't have Amazon Basics, which is crushing all of CPG. So all these different aspects of this business that could come out, 
And if you're long the stock at this price, you're betting that there's goodness to come. It's not just about beating this quarter's earnings. Yeah, and I think though ultimately though, like when when the stock market, when, when VCs look at this company, they're like, wow, the top line was amazing. They 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 grew revenue so fast in a short period of time. But the stock market is looking at things like margins and also uh, decelerating growth. It's not just if it's growing, but it's the rate of growth. And so, uh, unfortunately, the stock market and venture capitalists look at things a little differently. But we'll see. I mean, maybe the rate of growth will accelerate again. Speaking of growth rates accelerating, by oh, the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if this anyone, weekend, no, just not Uber. No, no, actually, for once, it's not. We're actually going to take a, a turn down nocturne alley here and talk about crypto uh, because Bitcoin is apparently everything that exists in the world. There is nothing else that is happening. Period. We all exist on the blockchain because we agree we all exist. I have random friends who probably didn't know what Bitcoin was until a month ago, and they're like, should I invest? And the answer what is, is And I'm like, can you, you afford to lose all your money? Then, then <laughs> yes. Um, but, if I you mean, have to ask, the answer is no. I mean, I could see it going either way. And look, uh, we don't own Bitcoin and write about it, so I'm, I'm not an owner of Bitcoin because I would be biased. But um I think I could see it going up a bit. I could also see it going down a bit. So you, you know, invest in, at your own risk here. But, but one thing it's that has gone is, up a lot yeah, lately, and it's also bolstering the the fortunes of some public companies. So if you go back to the dot com boom, uh, back when I was in elementary school, ha ha ha. The good news, still an economics major. <laughs> companies uh, used to append dot com to their name and see their share price skyrocket. They were essentially slathering on some internet goodness and then taking that to the bank. And we are seeing a repeat of that currently with companies that are currently public um, buying, for example, a small cryptocurrency-themed business, changing their name, and then taking off in the stock market. <clears throat> Bloomberg has written several of these stories uh, just this month. And um, there's a really, really great example um, for a firm, and I'm scrolling through my own story and can't find. Uh, anyways, they changed their name to a crypto thing and jumped 400% in a single day. So, like, that's. <laughs> Did they change it to Trashfire? Yeah. Um, they, they there really was one should've. called Riot Blockchain. Yeah, there was, there one, was like, something long else. Fan this week that went public. Yeah, Longfin. That was the yeah, other one. Yeah, and then, and then they buy um, a, a blockchain company and their stock went up like 2,400% or something. Right. And so, I mean, and the, the, the CEO even went on CNBC and, and admitted they were overvalued. He said that their company does, hasn't done anything to justify. This valuation, but you know they were, they were hoping for it, right? You don't you don't go from, for example, this company, Online PLC, based in London since '96. They're now called Blockchain PLC. I mean, come on, you know what you're doing, Uncle Lowell. If you're listening, this is probably a good idea. <laughs> I think Verizon should definitely ICO. <laughs> um, but what we're seeing here is essentially the exuberance from the broader crypto space leak over, uh, kind of in reverse to the public markets, and um, it probably is a decent indicator that we're near some market highs for either the broader technology asset group, the crypto asset class, or just there's a lot of morons out there that have money to lose. Well, what's interesting about this is, so this is public stocks that people are theoretically buying with fiat currency. So what's interesting about the crypto world is a lot of the rise in, in speculative value has come from people either trading out of Bitcoin into other currencies, but they're not going into fiat currency. And so what's interesting to me about what you're seeing on CNBC and Bloomberg and elsewhere about these public companies is this is real U.S. dollars being converted into stock that is at an inflated value, a wildly inflated value, whereas in the crypto world, you have people exchanging crypto for other crypto. And so there's at least 
right. a logical argument as to why they're doing so. Why you would buy some company and bid it up 10x the price because it changes name is, is beyond. You have to There's be. There's a frenzy right now. That's clear. Yes. And you have to be stupid to take part in it on the public side. Now, you really, you can make a case that taking your Ethereum paper gains and plowing those into an ICO, that way you can buy some Filecoin before the network launches, but it's still a white paper, blah, 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 blah. Maybe that makes sense. I don't think so, but maybe it does. Don't but, underestimate the power of taxes. A lot of people are doing this because they don't want to pay taxes. They don't want to take their crypto out, convert right. it to cash, and pay tax. They're saying, I'm going to go crypto to crypto. And right now, the law is a little fuzzy on what the tax implications of that are. And that is a big driver of what's happening well, you know, with ICOs. People, people definitely shouldn't take their paper gains and convert them into fiat they can actually use. Because why would you want to do that? Why would you want to pay off your student loans or buy a house or get married or buy another car or anything like that? It's totally unreasonable. What you should do is plow it into ICOs to avoid a short-term one-time tax penalty. What's going on in the world? Why is that your argument? Or reverse, you convert your crypto into pizza or clothing or something and then lament years later how much it you know would have been worth, which Hash- is what everybody's doing on Twitter yeah. now. Hashtag right? HODL. Just right. put, yeah, just put it all your anything, money. Any, if you buy and sell at the right time, it could be worth a lot. But um, yeah, no, with, with Bitcoin, it's definitely been a volatile ride so far. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. I've heard that some angel investors and some seed investors are now not doing traditional equity investments and are instead essentially just day trading in crypto. And I'm curious if you've, one, seen that, heard that, or if that's just kind of hokum that's bouncing around Twitter. No, I think there's a lot of that. There are a lot of folks who got into crypto over the last year or two just for sort of fun because they wanted to learn more about it. They opened up a Coinbase account or an account somewhere else, and they started buying and, and selling various things. And that value of that has now grown and become sort of real money. I still think you're talking about a very small number of people that have, say, a million dollars plus of crypto. So your average friend who's you know tweeting about his success in crypto has like a thousand dollars that's now worth fifteen, which is amazing, but it's not fifteen million. It's not yacht and money. No, and and so I think look, we're still in the very early days of this. And what's exciting to folks in our world about about crypto and about Bitcoin and blockchain is we believe the bit has flipped and there is something real here. Now, are we wildly in a speculative mode, sort of reminiscent of dot com slash, you know, pets.com? Of course we are. And there will be some sort of crash. We don't know what shape or form that will take. But out of that will come a lot of really interesting things. And I think, you know, we certainly believe that at a, at a, at a fundamental technology level. Will it be Bitcoin? Will it be Ethereum? Will it be Litecoin? Will it be Filecoin? Will it be something else? One of the other 1,500, you know, cryptocurrencies are now available. We don't know because it's early days. It's, well, it you, reminds me of 1995 in Silicon. Valley. Well, if you're if you're a Bitcoin holder right now, and everyone's excited about Bitcoin and the price is going way way up, and you're a Bitcoin believer, do you still hold it when it starts crashing? If you're a true believer in Bitcoin, that would be the test case, right? Because yeah. the float is actually small as a percentage of the overall market value of Bitcoin. The actual amount that gets traded every day is relatively small. So if that does happen, and there's no backstop or sort of institution there to sort of prevent the price from from dropping precipitously it'd be interesting to see what happens okay last question Buy on the low sell on the high right true but how how often do you check the price of bitcoin on a day-to-day basis me personally you personally probably three times a day okay that's actually pretty pretty good i'm more yeah. like 10 I think. three to five okay. i mean wow. yeah it is currently one how much th- bitcoin do you own uh, enough to, to, make, to make it to make it checkable, but like what I mean, I, but what what's, I, better, but what's fascinating about it? Just think about it. Like the market closes at one thirty, and there's not a lot of action beyond then, right? So at five o'clock, you're like, hey, what's going on? I'm kind of bored of Twitter. I don't need to see another you know weird Trump photo. Hey, Bitcoin's up. It's down. It's just kind of an interesting thing that people are following. It's very topical. It's weird. You are literally describing my life right now. But it's interesting. <laughs> I'm so mad. I at met you. I met with one of the top crypto funds last week. Um, the, Blockchain the, Capital. Got some guys that are not not based here. Amazing folks based out of Asia. 
And they literally said, we sleep four hours a night. We trade off because nobody can ever be asleep. It's a 24-7 market. They're trading on exchanges all over the world. And part of what they're looking for is not only price discrepancy, but hacks, right? They don't want to lose all their money in some, some hack. They're looking for news that other people aren't capturing. So all the things that have been put in place in the U.S. stock market around insider trading and everything else is now like that's the quote-unquote edge in crypto, right? Which is highly illegal in the market. But in crypto, it's like, well, that's the edge. Of course you do that. So it'll be interesting to see how that part of the equation plays out and what role does the SEC or DOJ play. Hopefully a bit. Don't know. But that's don't know. Yeah. Just to note really, really fast, if you own one Bitcoin, you currently have $17,452 in your bank account. Less taxes, though. Yeah, minus that. Yeah, you don't well, have it in your bank account. You have it in whatever account. Yeah, Coinbase, yeah, 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 all right? those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, according yeah. to CNBC, some people have been taking out mortgages to do Bitcoin or something like that. I heard yesterday, a friend told me about a food truck guy that he knows in a town on the West Coast, and the guy is taking on extra credit card debt to purchase more crypto. Is there a credit default swap on credit card debt? Acquired for the purposes of buying crypto. If there's not, there should be. <laughs> I mean, I don't never, swear. never underestimate the creativity of you Wall make Street. Make that into a multi vehicle. Um, anyways, the, I, I, I don't know what to say about Bitcoin at this point because I feel like anything we say will be wrong by the time this comes out. But um, now we've reached the point when enough normal people are buying in that if the correction does come to the extent that I think we all kind of expect, they could get hurt. And I don't like to see uh, largesses impact the relatively poor public. Just that worries me as a consumer. Well, something else investors have putting, been putting their money in is venture capital. And according to, PitchBook, <laughs> according to PitchBook, global venture capital investment has hit an all-time record with more than $142 billion already dispersed in 2017. Um, so, yeah, I guess apparently th- that's total volume but not total deals so that means that it's a smaller number of companies but they're getting more money per company thus bringing up the total volume the total number of dollars so uh what do you guys make of that have you been have you been investing a lot (laughs) (laughs) well i think the most notable thing is that the number of companies getting funded is down right over the last five years we're back to where we were in 2012 in terms of number of companies I would tell you that if you're one of the top companies, if you're in the top five, five, one, five percent, raising money is easy, right? You raise 200 million, 500 million, et cetera, is SoftBank. You know, there's a bunch of folks that are on your, your your speed dial. But below that, it's tough. It's gotten way harder for startups to raise money today than it was a year ago. And I think it's going to be harder next year than it was this year. Is this, is this kind of like the Facebook fallout after the Facebook IPO and things just like kind of slowed down? No, I think it's the funding boom of 2014, 2015. We're now in the hangover phase, right? Mm-hmm. We had like a massive party where people poured money into all kinds of speculative things. Uber for X, food delivery for Y. Uh, the next e-commerce thing. I mean, there were just a lot of new concepts that got funded in, in, in a big way in 2014, 2015. Those companies now are trying to come back out and raise money. They haven't hit their plans. You're seeing people swap out their CEOs. There's a lot of turmoil below the, below the surface in Silicon Valley. And I think one of the things that bumps me out is most of the founders that I'm you know, working with who are struggling, they think, oh, it's just me. Everybody else is killing it, right? They're just sitting around eating, you know, drinking LaCroix and going to Cabo every weekend. They're not. Startups are struggling, and it's hard to raise money out there. 
So how Unless high Unless your name is Uber or Lyft. Well, but the money, I don't really consider that venture capital. I mean, if you're investing in a company at a $10 billion valuation, that's not really venture capital. That's today's Those small cap tech plans. stock, right? <laughs> that would have been a public company. True. And so I just true. don't, I think anything over a billion to me starts to not really look like venture capital. And I'd love to see the chart. If you took out everything over a billion dollar valuation, what would the amount look like? Because I, I don't think it would be up that dramatically from where we were a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. And that's a trend we've been seeing for a while is that the past few years, there's been a lot of money invested, but it's mostly been put in these unicorns or even the decacorns. The decacorns are companies with a $10 billion valuation or more. But um, Dan Primick has the charts on Axios, and it says that there's been a boom in fundraising by Chinese startups as well. but yeah. Well, those bike sharing companies aren't going to fund themselves. I mean, Mofo, Mobike, and Ofo need more capital. It'd um, be nice if they merged and became Mofo. Well, Mofo already <laughs> claimed a law firm. They already, there's already a law firm called Mofo. <laughs> Branding 101. And your VC firm is now banned from the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, going back about five minutes, that you said that it's harder now for companies to raise money that are not in that top one to five percent. So I'm curious, what's changed in the metrics that we're seeing? Is this like you know faster path? To profitability, faster revenue growth, what's now higher in terms of performance requirements? Well, I think you have a couple things. One, some of the capital has gone later, right? So they're chasing things that look mature, they look realistic, they look um, they look like quote unquote safe bets. If I can pour in money into a $10 billion company that might be worth 20 and I can put a billion dollars to work, that's easier than making 10 $100 million bets where I might have a 50% success rate. So it's just kind of a math exercise. As these companies stay private longer, there's more money coming into them and it becomes a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I've below that at the sort of series A, B, C level, I think what you have is just people um, developing a higher level of scrutiny around the business model for a lot of these companies, right? So they're saying, you know, retention. You mentioned retention. Well, when companies were getting into e-commerce five years ago, people weren't looking at retention. They were just like, the top line's growing. The life looks good. And then investors got more and more sophisticated about understanding the underlying metrics behind these businesses and understanding that if you only, you pay 20 bucks to acquire a customer that buys a $10 product once, it's not a good business, but people were funding that two or three years ago, and now they've sort of learned and gotten more smart or smarter and more sophisticated about the kinds of companies they're 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 investing in. Are those, well, no, please, well, the idea. I mean, if I thought the idea, or I would imagine the idea is like you spend twenty dollars to get a customer that spent that buys a box for $10, but theoretically that word of mouth that is worth two other customers, or like th- that it would grow into that conversion, right, or something like that, right? I mean, was that the case, or, or did we actually just kind of skip the boat there? Yeah, I don't think it happened, right? And and so I think what you're seeing, if you look at the, the bulk case on Stitch Fix, is the economics of the business work well. The, 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 I don't know who had the bull case on Blue Apron when it went public, because you could look at their retention numbers and realize that there was no real sustainable business there, right? It was a business that didn't have long-term retention of its customer base. So I can tell you in our world and with the other folks that we invest in, in e-commerce, for example, we focus very highly on on retention, right? How many times do your customers come back and buy throughout the year? Do you have to market to those customers? Which ones come back on a paid basis? Which ones come back on an organic basis? And let's not forget that the, the world where all these customers get acquired now is Facebook. And so Facebook's ability to dial up or down the ad buying rates and the effectiveness of the ad unit is hugely impactful to this whole startup ecosystem. And for example, rates have gone up in Q4. Guess what? Every business is feeling the pain from that. Every venture-backed consumer internet business that uses Facebook as their primary channel, and most of them, 
I would bet for most of them, it's 70% Facebook, it's 20% or 25% Google, and 5% among everything else. So for the past few years, VCs have told me they've been super careful about what they're investing in, but at the end of the day, you have to deploy your fund or you don't get returns on your fund. So are tw is 2018 gonna be a year that they're investing in more startups? I don't think people have slowed down pace. It still looks to me like most of the funds that, that are like ours that are fairly, you know, we're a $1.2 billion fund. For funds that are $500 million to a billion, you've got to put that money to work over a two to three year period. But what you're doing is maybe concentrating it more. So you're doubling down on your own companies and putting more money to work in your best companies. Uh, and then just trying to raise the bar on the ones that are coming to you. The other thing that's happened is we have way more seed stage companies coming to us than we did five or 10 years ago because there are more seed funds. And those seed stage companies are more well-funded. So they're raising three to $5 million in their seed when five or seven years ago, that was a series A. And so the companies are a little bit more mature. You've got more data to work with, but that also causes the bar to go up, right? And I think that's something that founders in Silicon Valley have, have, have been having to adjust to over the last few years. It used to be you could walk in after raising a million or two in seed and say, hey, Katie, I've got this great story. Why don't you give me six to eight million? You say, that looks great. Let's do it. When somebody walks in and says, I've already raised three to five, your, your lens that you're looking at that business through, it's just a different lens. And startups didn't necessarily adjust to that until recently. I Is mean, that sorry. My understanding is it's gotten harder to get from A to B and B to C and that all the everyone's putting money in series F and G. But how do you get to F and G if you can't get from A to B <laughs> or B to C? It's hard. It's hard. And that's what I'm saying. The, 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 the seed capital is plentiful. Series A gets harder. B and C is tough. It's really hard. I, it, from my vantage point, I'm just one, one person, but I think it's gotten tougher to raise those series A, B, and C rounds. If you do make it through, it's like, you know, the, whatever the, the scenario is where people are just raining money on you, right? You know, uh, <laughs> you've got SoftBank calling you and then all these other funds trying to offer you cash. And, and there is a lot of money for late-stage companies. I mean, a tremendous amount of money available to those companies from all over the world. Well, for, for the seed deal, you're, you're talking about people that have come in and raised like 3 to $5 million or whatever, right? And, and they are looking to raise their A in that meeting room. Is you, are you thinking like, holy crap, you burned through $5 million already? Or are you thinking like, oh my God, I'm not going to invest in you guys at a $50 million pre. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, it all, it all, it's all part of the equation, right? Yeah. It's how big is the market opportunity? What have you accomplished with the money you've raised so far? And how big do we think this can be? And I think what you've, you've had happen over the last few years, for whatever reason, in 014 and 015, people were willing to dream about all kinds of new business models and ideas that could become reality, whether it was, you know, laundry pickup and delivery that was suddenly a tech company or, you know, whatever. It was all these sort of odd business models didn't really feel like venture-backed tech companies, but everybody sort of bought into it. And now people have sort of peeled back and said, well, it's not Uber for X. Uber is Uber. Like, you're either Uber or Lyft or you're not. Like, that model doesn't apply to 100 different industries. And so, you know, the subscription economy, right? Everybody was going to do everything on subscription. Well, guess what? It's Stitch Fix and what else, right? Dollar Shave Club. Keurig still sells coffee I on subscription. I actually have a lot of subscriptions. But You're I'm an a anomaly. stereotypical You're an anomaly. millennial. Right. No, millennials, we like subscriptions. We do? But we do. Yeah. Yeah. You're a fake millennial. I, yeah, broken. <laughs> so I, don't get me wrong. I think the 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 bull case in venture and the reason so many of us are excited about what's to come is we're still in the early days of mobile. Crypto is and blockchain are brand new. Self-driving, AI, ML, those categories are literally in the first inning. We're deploying a ton of money to those categories. Software, we haven't even talked about enterprise software, but we mentioned earlier, reliable, will stamp out five to $10 billion companies you know, every generation. So there's a lot of things to be optimistic about. I just think it's gotten much harder for startups at the Series A, B, C level to raise money than it was two or three years ago. Now, you could argue that two or three years ago was an anomaly, and according to the charts, it was. 
but it's harder today than it was two or three years ago for sure. But crypto, the the Bitcoin white paper came out nine plus years ago, right? The iPhone came out ten years ago. You keep talking about these early innings, first stages. You know, it's day one. It's ninety five. Um, how is that still possible? I mean, I, I think we would see more maturity by now for 10 years of these things in the market. Well, if you look at uh, the internet era, right, or the web era, right? So the internet had been around for decades before the web. And then the web came out in kind of the mid-90s. But, you know, it wasn't, we didn't see 400, $500 billion companies till 2015, 16, 17, right? Facebook, Amazon, et cetera. So it takes time. Alibaba, you look at Alibaba, you know, the web existed in China in 1995. Nobody was on it. Right. Alibaba gets founded in the late 90s. Today, it's a $500 billion company. That took 20 20 years. So they I also think have you're going to have a really s- big market there in China. They do have a very large market. That. They do have a very large market. But I think it's going to now you could make the argument that this will happen faster once it catches on and becomes sort of a legitimate category where people are putting a lot of capital to work. And I think that 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 is the bull case on on the whole crypto and blockchain uh, space is that things will happen faster because the currency is is more is more liquid. Right. There's more capital available more quickly, right? This market, I mean if you'd waited for venture capital, would 1.5 or whatever it is, $4 billion have gone into ICOs? No. No. It would have been $400 million, then a billion, then $2 billion. But these guys went out and raised $4 billion in one year by doing by inventing their own their own model. And then reinvesting to raise their capital gains exactly. off the token that they already ICO'd. To, it, it's it's, it's a weird brilliant. Feedback. Well, brilliant's a word for it. All right. Well, on that note, come back next week. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickervet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday. Hey, hey, hey.